Yeah, you want 200. You want it to be the place to be. Welcome back to Two Homers and a Realist. This is a continuation of our special where we're interviewing each of us to find out if we're a homer or a realist and get to know us otherwise. As a reminder, we are still under construction, getting a beautiful studio here. We're going to have a live audience capability soon, but you may hear saws and hammers going in the background. Please excuse our mess as progress is loud. But today we're going to be discussing Lucas. So Lucas, are yep. you a homer or are you a realist? I am the realist. The realist. <laughs> I'm, I'm alone with the rest of y'all. The OG realist. Yep. So what does that mean to you when you say you're a realist? Uh, I'm not the pie in the sky, we're gonna go undefeated every year guy, like most of y'all generally are. Up until this season, I think Y'all probably come to terms that we're not going to go undefeated. A lot of accusations coming out of you but today. <laughs> there have been many years that every year going in, you're like, oh, yeah, the schedule's easy. We're going to go undefeated. We're going to win the Big 12 title. We're in the national championship. I don't, I don't see anybody can beat us. That's, that's the homer in y'all. Hmm. And, and so I'm the realist. So you're the realist. I look at all the factors and what I perceive in the team from the end zone because it's the best seats in the house. You see all the plays develop. And I just kind of determine what I think – the pragmatic view is on how it's going to go. So what is your OU origin story in history? Brief us on that. I have a very checkered past with my OU fandom. As a kid growing up, I was an OU fan, Switzer era. Um, I remember one time we were driving along I-35. I had this, had this sweet OU hat that I wish I still had. It was too big for my small head. But it had a button in the bill that you pushed, and it played Boomer Sooner. <laughs> and it was fantastic. One day, I'm sitting in the back of my dad's S10 driving up I-35. And my dad said, hey, look over. And I look over, and Barry Switzer's waving at me, going down I-35, and he's pointing at my hat. And I'm, like, giving him a thumbs up, super excited. I was probably, I don't know, seven years old at that time. That's a you know, pretty exciting moment. Always recruiting. Always recruiting, yeah. <laughs> you, still, you still have a pretty vivid memory of that? Yeah. Yeah? Yep, cool. going down. We were I-35, almost to I-40 junction there, and I just literally just look over, and he's waving and pointing at his hat and thumbs up. It was so pretty you, cool. You said you were seven. So, so how old are you now? I'm 45 now. 45 now. So, started out 45 years ago on the on the right side of where yes. we're of, of where um, we're at now. Most of the people in my family were all OU fans. I don't remember. Didn't really have any rabid OU fandom in my family. My dad rooted for OU, didn't go to a bunch of games or anything. Um, grandpa always watched the games at home, but never attended. Um, and then in Little League football, I played on a team called the Cowboys, and we wore orange. We had Pistol Pete on our helmet. And it was about the time Barry Sanders was going crazy. So then I was more of the, I'll root for both teams kind of a thing. And then gross. they fired Switzer. And what, what was that, 90, after 91 1989. season? 89, okay. A, a, after the 88 season. Okay, so that would have been the same time frame that I'm playing Little League football, wearing Cowboys jersey and helmet and stuff. And it really, as a little kid, made me very angry because you don't understand, you know, what the allegations were as far as the everything happening within the program. You just watch football games. And I was, I was a baseball player, so that was my, my main thing was watch, watching baseball, playing baseball and all that. And then, so I had some friends that were OSU fans. So then I went through a period of 
uh, from probably 90 or 91 till actually till 99 rooting for OSU over OU and starting a lot of fights with friends that were hardcore OU fans. Um, but I was just, it was just one of those things that I couldn't look past the firing of Switzer. My dad got OU season tickets in the Gibbs era for three or four seasons. And he, I think I went to one or two games that whole time. And then in 1999, I was working for a company that had season tickets at OU that would give them to their employees. So I went to the 99 OU Indiana State game, Bob Stoops' first game. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't hate OU. I was rooting for OSU more. I attended probably two games of Stillwater and even went to the Alamo Bowl when they lost to Purdue in, I want to say, 97-ish. And then Steve's brother, Brian, said, hey, I think I saw him at the game. They always sat in the student section. And he said, hey, you should come to more OU games. You could come sit in the student section with us. And then I said, well, that sounds like fun. I'll do that. And then that's when it, that's when it all began again. And then that season, I went with Stephen Bryan's family to Colorado for a game, Texas Tech for a game. Um, I don't know if there were any more away games. I think we that was the only two games yeah. I went to away games that season. Right. And they had this family tradition of picking, you know, which player would score first, who had the most yards, like all, all these different categories that you put a dollar on. And it was just a, a family enjoyment thing. So I started getting in on that. And I went to every home game that season, plus those couple of away games, and just rediscovered my love for OU. So let me get this straight real quick. <laughs> so it, <laughs> in your makeup of a realist, you start out as an OU fan. You switch to the dark side and admittedly so are rooting for OSU against Oklahoma at, at a time in your life. Yep. You come back, you reestablish sanity to and your love of OU football. Choose to sit in the end zone now and and you are the way you are. So <laughs> I just want to lay the roadmap for those listening. If you guys want to be a realist, listen to Lucas um, <laughs> hey, you got to go through some stuff yeah. to be a realist. You've got you've got to go through some stuff. You got to go through some, some, some hard times in the end zone seats and uh, a lack of loyalty to become <laughs> to become the realist that you are. So I just want to make the sure. The '99 season, I sat pretty much everywhere you could sit in that stadium. I watched the Texas A&M game from section one. Um, we had like oh, memories, if memory serves. We had a blocked extra point, a blocked field goal or punt. We killed A&M. Big at, I mean, big. It was like 60-something. Or no, 50, 52 to 6 or something yeah. crazy. Wow. I went with a friend of mine's family for that game. The Indiana State game, like I said, were company tickets. So I was in that one. I was in oh, 10-yard line on the east side, about halfway up. I want to say that's section 36-ish, 38-ish. And then um, just sat in different seats. And then the 99 uh, Bedlam game. I came down with no tickets and ended up buying some outside from a scalper about 20 minutes till kickoff, and those were in the end zone. And I really enjoyed that view more than any other one because I've sat in outside of the east side upper deck because it's newer. I've sat everywhere in that stadium. And so after the 99 season, my dad said, well, if you're back to being an OU fan full time, he said, let's get in on this and get season tickets. And I said, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. So we got 
season tickets in section 16 in the north end zone uh, for the 2000 season. Been there and ever since. That was magical and been there ever since. So what do you think What do you think played that role in, in you really reestablishing your, your fandom for OU? Was it accessibility because you were able to go to the games and, and you were attending games? Or was it a, more of a, a deeper, you know, this is how it was, this is how it should have been all along type of thing? I mean, it's probably twofold between, you know, OU was terrible in the mid-90s and then – you could see something in Stoops that was bringing the program back to the forefront. Obviously, you don't think you're going to win a national championship that quick, but you just see it's, it's better at that time. Um, and then, honestly, being friends with Brian, Steve's brother, it would just he would just hammer me all the time in the OSU days of, you're an idiot, I don't know how you root for this He converted team. you. He brought you back. He, he honestly, brought you back to the religion. 100% Brian converted me. And then the family trips with, with them on those couple road games, and it was just – it was a different level of fun yeah. watching football. Cool. That's cool. So what is your, your current home streak, and what other mo- notable streaks do you want to mention? I don't know the number because I didn't look it up, but it's the 99 Indiana State game was the beginning, and I haven't missed one since. I have not missed a home game since. That's so quite a record. It's, it's, it's got to be around 100, I would imagine. So you're going on 24 straight seasons Yep. starting this year. So that's, yep. that's impressive. I haven't missed one since, and I've told people – don't get married if you expect me to be there. Don't die if you expect me to be at your funeral. All the things. I'm, that streak is what. You told Crystal, don't be having babies on nope, game day. No, we, that was all planned for the off season. Yeah. Smart man. So, when was your first home game? Away game, Texas game, bowl game? First home game would have been the 1986 homecoming game against Missouri. 77 to nothing. My biological dad lived in Alaska, and he was in town for that, that weekend, and he said, hey, my friend's got some tickets to the OU game. Let's go. And we went, and I'm, the Jets flew. I was in the south end zone. The Jets flew over from behind and scared the crap out of me. <laughs> but the pomp and circumstance of homecoming, it seemed better back then. Yeah, I think it was. Um, it's a college now experience it's homecoming, like that was I really a big don't, deal. I don't go watch the band come in. I don't go to the parade. I just I don't know why, but the homecoming doesn't do much for me. Yeah. But I remember that game walking down the sidewalk, and there's all the fraternities with the chalks, you know, all the sayings, the Boomer Sooners, and all that. The parade, you know, the band going down the street, all that. But for my first home game, was, you know, super left a big impression. Yeah. For that, um, first away game. Um, I mean, it was probably Colorado '99. We lost to the Buffaloes. We were up at halftime, like ten to seven, and ended up losing that game. Um, that was a rough game. That was that was my first probably OU road game that I can remember. So OU Texas. OU Texas first one was two thousand. <laughs> Very memorable, obviously, sixty three to fourteen. Uh, a friend of mine had an extra ticket. We drove down there. Um, we were in the end zone, the first seat next to the tunnel in the OU end zone. And I was jumping up and down on the fence. It was before they covered the end zone with that tarp or that right, canopy yeah. that they've got the, now. Or co- covered the, the Red the, River the rivalry or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the ramp. It was all open then. Yeah. And um, I'm watching the team come out and all that. And then we're killing them at halftime. And they had put Chris Sims in right you know, before halftime. They pulled Applewhite, put, put Sims in. And I remember him walking – 
up the ramp or down the ramp, whatever, leaving at halftime, and him and his offensive linemen were holding hands. So I let loose of some stuff after him, you know, telling me he was a big sissy. You know, Chrissy Sims, the big sissy. You're only you're only even in the game because of who your dad is. That whole thing. He looked right at me when I was saying it because little I was on the aisle seat next to the tunnel, so he saw me because we were maybe 15 rows up. So it was I wasn't that far away from him when I was yelling at him. <laughs> wow, that's cool. That's really cool. And um, bowl game. Bowl game, first bowl game, and only bowl game. The. LSU National Championship in New Orleans, the 03 season. I thought you said you went to the Purdue Bowl game, the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, that's a, that's an OSU game. Oh, the OSU OSU Purdue game. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. So the 03 LSU game, got some tickets, went down, stayed probably three blocks from the uh, from the stadium, which was kind of in be- the hotel we stayed at was kind of in between the stadium and Bourbon Street, so. Stayed out till four or five in the morning. Every night we were there. Uh, LSU fans were the worst to this day that I've encountered. Pre-game and post-game, I didn't have the foresight to not bring OU stuff in case we lost. Even though we just lost to K-State and it kind of snuck into the national championship game, I I thought we had a win on the, on our hands. So going down to Bourbon Street wearing OU gear after the game was miserable. But that was um, my first bowl game. So, so far, what has been your favorite OU season? Um, I, I honestly think it's 08. Um, I know on the previous pod, Cotter mentioned that as his. Um, that offense was, at the time, the best offense of all time. They had was like six games in a row scoring 60-plus points or some kind of record yep. close to 60, that. 60-plus, yeah. The defense was still good in the 08 season um we lost to texas i think yep yep but then tech beat texas so it was like a three-way, three-way round robin of three-way you know, tie in yeah. the south and yeah. we destroyed yep. tech and we were all number one were we we beat mm-hmm. uh was that missouri yeah was also number one we beat the living crap out of them so everything about that season other than loss to texas was fantastic i mean the 2000 season was magical but i didn't know what i was getting into because it was it was my first, you know, my second season of going to all the home games. And, um, yeah, you're just in euphoria at that point. Yeah. You know? I mean, that was just completely unexpected. But by the 08 season, seeing that offense, what Bradford was able to do, and Kevin Wilson's still probably my favorite offensive coordinator we've had. And, <clears throat> well, you look at that, that te- I mean, that team, that's, as Steve mentioned it as well, I think in a previous pod, that's, a, that's the turn of the game. In my, it's not even just OU. It's it's the turn of the game, the style and of the, the game, the style of the game, yeah. especially the style that we see and have seen in the Big Twelve. Well, yeah, Kevin Wilson I and mean, Chip Kelly was right around the same time. Yeah, they yeah. both that Innovator. both of those changed, revolutionized, and that was our first like offense. Our Leach ran a little bit of a hurry up, but not like not to the extent that the Kevin Wilson was running that because Bradford was so smart, and all those players had been in that system for a couple seasons that they knew that. We could run a play and then within eight seconds be at the line of scrimmage and we're running another play. And they were, it wasn't like the Levy system last year where we had a bunch of third and 12s and stuff like that. It seemed like chunk yardage on the regular as you're hurrying up. I mean, we had one and a half minute drives like it was nothing. Yeah. I mean, to score 60 plus points a game for that many games, 
you got to be clicking in it and it was and to me that was that was the most fun to watch as an aside i take issue with people who denigrate sam bradford as a system quarterback because and i never have liked that moniker i think that's dismissive of a lot of players especially quarterbacks he was great in that system not anyone and everyone could have pulled off what he did yeah um you had to be a great quarterback to pull off what he did and, and be able to execute that for sure um so if you could schedule any home and home series with three teams who would you choose um i believe when we did the last pod connor said penn state that's on my that's on my list of teams because the uniform for Penn State, as people dog it. That's the, that uniform is elite. That's the most classic uniform in college football. To that me. uniform is elite. They've never changed in my lifetime. It's always been the same. Um, when they do the whiteout at Happy just Valley, they're bad at laundry colors. They just when, when they do the whiteout <laughs> at Happy Valley, it looks incredible on TV. There's a bucket list and for it's any a, football fan. It's a huge fans. stadium. Be yeah. But when they're all white in it, it looks it looks amazing. So. That's a team that we really haven't gotten to play in my lifetime often in the slightest. I mean, was it the 80, 85 Orange Bowl? Uh-huh. 1985 season. That's yeah. the last time we played them? Yes. I mean, that's that's a team that's on the top of the list for me. Um, I think I think Michigan, I think is another one Connor mentioned, because of if you look at the overall record in the history of college football, Michigan has a – the best winning record up to World War II or whatever it is. And we had, at a time, I don't, we might have lost it now to Bama. I don't Since know. Since then, no, we still. But we, we've got the best winning after World War II record. So to put, like, the oldest Titan of football against the quote-unquote newest Titan of football, which obviously is 70 years plus now, but um, actually 80, 80 now. <laughs> different game. Yeah. Yeah. It's still the all-time leader in wins, no, right? In wins. In, in wins, In yeah. win percentage, it's Notre Dame. No, but in wins are the – yeah, one yeah. So but that, they're getting caught. That one's on there for me as far as another team I like to do at home and home, which that is on the calendar. Yo, do we know what years that is? I think it's 25. I think it's 25 and 26. It can't be that close, is it? I it think is. It is. Oh, I think it's man. that close. I think it's so I'm going to get to see that one. Um, it's Jackson Arnold, baby. Outside of that, I've, I've really enjoyed the Miami and Florida State ones we've done. Um, UCLA was awesome because going to the Rose Bowl was bucket list. Um, I'm trying to think of one that we haven't played on a, on a, in the last 20 years, a home and home. I like to go somewhere in the Northeast. Yeah, I was kind of thinking those two when I was trying to think through it, but there's no good yeah, teams. Yeah, there's no there. good teams. I mean, I mean, it'd be a location based Penn game. State's literally the closest, like, yeah. Northeastern league team that would be good. Um, I wouldn't mind playing Colorado again. Going to Boulder is pretty fun. Um, I'm a mountain guy over a beach guy, so. Being up there, you've got a mountain body. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. You've got a mountain face. <laughs> I think uh, being in the mountains is way better than the beach to me. So, I, w- I would like to start another rivalry with Colorado. Okay. Um, so let's stay on the topic of of different opponents and talk about some of the notable best and worst, in your opinion, atmosphere, stadiums, fan experiences, and just otherwise opponents. Uh, the best atmosphere I've ever been in was the Tennessee game in 2015. Um, crowd was incredibly loud. The checkered stadium with all the fans wearing the orange and the white checkered was logistically awesome. <laughs> I 
I mean, we do the we do the the stripe games and stuff like that, but the checkerboard was awesome looking as a fan, and the the tailgating atmosphere was awesome going in. You couldn't go ten feet without a Tennessee fan inviting you over to their barbecue, to play cornhole, drink beer, and swap stories. That whole kind of thing. So that's a significant game to where OU's at now, too. Yeah, I mean that really kickstarted everything in the last five or six years. Um, yeah. I had a different experience at Ohio State than Connor did. We had every every time we walked to past a Ohio State tailgate, they'd wave us on over and say, "Hey." We got a bunch of a-hole fans. You got to watch out for them. Come over here and hang out with us for a little while. So we'd stop for 20 minutes, drink a beer, eat a hot dog, whatever, play some cornhole. Hey, nice to meet you guys. We're going to take off. We'd walk 50 feet. Another fan wave us over. All they'd look around and wave us over. Hey, you got to watch out for our fans. We got some real a-holes. Come hang out with us for a little bit. <laughs> that literally in the walk to the stadium that was probably a 20-minute walk took two and a half hours because. Every single person we talked to warned us about these horrible Ohio State fans <laughs> that didn't turn out to any of them that we dealt with to be horrible. <laughs> so that that was an amazing atmosphere. And then the Rose Bowl, 2019, um, the tailgaters were funny because most of them weren't going to the game. They would just drive over and tailgate with their tents and all that and then go home and watch the game because they really didn't – a lot of them were transplants and didn't care about UCLA football. They just like the experience of a big team like in Oklahoma coming to town and hanging out. So um, the it's Rose a very NFL experience. I feel yeah. like the uh, Rose Bowl atmosphere tailgate. is unlike any other I've been to, with the mountains, um, the way it's set. It's a giant stadium. The OU fan was probably seventy to thirty in, in the stands, so that made it feel like a home game. But the setting was so picturesque, and we dominated that game. So. That, that one's up there for favorite road games. So game. we had a good time in UCLA. Um, I would imagine that stands out in some respects as a, a pretty awesome venue. That Was that your first trip to LA? Yep. So that was a fun experience all around. Obviously a great game that we yeah. uh, win handily. Me and Jay got there fun. on a Thursday and just kind of went to the beach. We went to Griffith Observatory. We went on a Warner Brothers studio tour uh, studio lot tour. You did a we, lot. We tried to see a. Yeah. We tried to see all of LA in, in, on Thursday, Friday. It's the first time we met Jay too. Yeah, and that's then right. Saturday yeah. we spent, you know, the day we had breakfast, a place called Russell's in Pasadena is fantastic, um, and then the game, the game was awesome. Other than the shooting in the parking lot after, <laughs> after the game, yeah. but we had we were walking away to go get an Uber. Yeah, that, they still don't have any happened. video footage of you from that event, so they they, they can't the, pin that I on you. I was on the opposite side of the stadium. <laughs> I'd say that too. <laughs> well, you didn't really mention Oklahoma State, but I'll bring it up. Let's talk about Bedlam and, and tell me about your view on the series going forward in the future. What's optimal to never play it, occasionally play it, play it every year? On, on, or towards the last, last question, you said best and worst venues. Yeah. I would have to say, even in my OSU fandom, I thought Rust-Oleum was a dump. Um, the metal stands, this was... Uh, probably right after Gallagher, I, after Gallagher, I, uh, Gallagher, I had been remodeled uh -huh. to where it was in that end zone. Uh, but the stands suck. This was pre Boone Pickens remodel. Um, I've been since as an OU fan, and it's still 
it's still not great. Uh, their tailgating is probably better than ours because they have more more lots to do it in. But overall, that stadium sucks. And then, it's an east-west facing stadium as well. And so then that's a joke. The other stadium, I think there was another one I thought of that really sucks. Oh, Texas Tech, Lubbock is a dump. The whole city, come <laughs> at me. I ain't scared. Uh, I haven't been in the last decade, but previously it was awful. Um, the fans are don't know football. Um, didn't enjoy any experiences there, and I thought the stadium was nothing special. Um, and then on the Bedlam series, I think we should have a home and home every decade. Um, if you want to do four years here and then four years go there, you know, so every every 16 years you're playing two home and two away. I think that's reasonable since we, I mean, we played in the same conference for since what the big seven. I mean, yeah. it's been Missouri Valley, whatever. Predated, it's been forever. Yeah. So as much as I do dislike the current crop of OSU fans, um, I don't think I'm Mike Connor. I don't think we need the game, but just out of a historical base and geographically. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a good game for crap talking because growing up in uh, more in general in Oklahoma City area, there's, you know, 80% of my friends are OU fans, 20% OSU fans. So there's still crap talking going on that is enjoyable. Um, I don't like going to the, to the stadium anymore. Um, well, you're going this year. We'll see. I, do, I've, I don't know. I just don't like, I don't like going up there anymore. Well, that's kind of controversial. And speaking of controversial views, let me get your opinion on this. Would you rather, uh, what's your view on being in a position where you are playing um, a likely victory, easy bowl game, or a very difficult playoff game that you're likely going to lose? What would you choose going into? I'm of the contrary opinion of most people because I would rather win the bowl game going into an offseason, uh, I take like, say, the Auburn game. We go into that game knowing pretty well that we're going to beat them. I don't know that we knew we were going to blow them out that season, but going into it feeling pretty good. Um, we've had games like the West Virginia loss, the Boise loss, that you, you wonder if a team's going to be up for it or not. But more often than not, we have been. And going to a game like against LSU where – uh, we felt like we had a chance, but it was pretty slight that season. If we could have gone to a, a New Year's Six Bowl and played a team that we haven't got to play before that we knew we were better than, I would have rather done that than get annihilated by an LSU team. And I know that's controversial, but I I enjoy my off seasons more coming off a bowl win. You like propulsion. Yes. Then I like momentum. I don't like losing a bowl game or getting, especially getting blown out. And I think then, that's a variation of the question feeling as well. crappy the whole way. Because I, I, I don't necessarily – I understand that take for sure. Um, and, again, not to argue. But, like, like, when I think easy bowl game, I'm thinking UConn like – the UConn what, – what game was, was that? Fiesta, Fiesta Bowl. Fiesta Bowl. Loved it. Really? <laughs> loved it. I loved destroying See, the crap out of small and, and teams. My, and my fandom and my – like historical recollection of what I've experienced as an OU fan is so low on the list of not only meaningfulness, but just enjoyability. Like, if we have, so if we have terms, that, if we take that game and 
knowing that that team was pretty good but not great, but somehow the the dominoes fell to where we were in a playoff game against Ohio State that's incredible, undefeated, scoring 60 a game. And I know that we're just a pretty good team and probably have no chance against like in Ohio State that year. I would rather go beat UConn in the Fiesta Bowl by 27 than lose to Ohio State even by a touchdown or 14 personally. Well, the per- the perfect example was would Auburn be... Was Auburn 16? Wait, yes. wait yep. was it? Yeah. So, it, so that's when we should have been in the playoff. <laughs> you know, in his no, argument, we could have won in the playoff. That was a pretty big win to propel us for the next season. But and it wasn't. That's not an easy bowl game, in my opinion. I do. Yeah, I do agree. Yeah. I think we're favored, yeah. but that's not. So an I, easy, I, think I, I was the, excited for that game. The perfect example is 2019, where we go into a, a huge uphill battle against LSU. You would have chosen ex ante, not knowing the outcome. But knowing we had a very difficult chance of winning that game, you would rather uh, us had missed the playoffs and played, handpick a team that would be like the UConn opponent. I don't know who it would have been from the 2019 season. Well, even if you want to just move the UConn game up and just yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd rather us have gone to yes. a, a bowl, any bowl, maybe maybe a lesser bowl, not necessarily. A, well, a, when one you're of the right on bowls. the edge of, you're gonna you're going to sneak into the playoff or yeah. you're going to be in a New Year's Six Bowl that's a non-playoff yeah, game. Yeah, so say call an Alamo Bowl against a... a that's not a New Year's Six game. Though. All right, well, well, what would be a, a Cotton Bowl? A Fiesta Bowl because we're, well, we're Big okay. 12 champions. Okay. So you okay, go to so Fiesta, Fiesta Bowl, Bowl against... Uh, so you'd rather be a... Let's call it a... Fiesta Bowl against South Florida. A 17-point favorite in the Fiesta Bowl than a 17-point dog in the playoffs. Yes. Okay. Um... Think about the losses that have weighed on you and been painful, and as you do that, select one that you would like to most most like to change. It's the national championship game in 03, because I was in New Orleans against LSU. That was a game that would literally slip through our fingertips as the ball goes through Kewan Jones' hands in the end zone. That was a Chuck Long team that, for some reason, the second half, we were able to run the ball up and down the field against that LSU defense that was Nick Saban team. And then for some reason, he gets the boneheaded idea to throw the ball four times inside the 10-yard line and not complete a single one of them. Um, Also, that game that was coming off the K-State loss where White had got hurt, I think his wrist was injured and he wasn't – I don't think he was 75% in that LSU game, which helped helped our run game because – or it means you need to run the you ball. You need to run probably. the ball more. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, let's not run the ball more. So at that game we were down 14 to 7 at half. We come out of half with the ball. We throw a pick six right like first series. It was one of those where he snaps the ball and throws it straight to the right, which we've seen for years at OU fan. That gets picked off. I don't understand why we ever continue <laughs> to run that. It happened against Colorado. It's one of the our game in 99 went to. It happened against uh, North Carolina with Julius Peppers. It happened in this game with LSU. I, ba- I hate Baylor that. in 14. I hate that play. And so they walk in the end zones 21-7. to seven. That's the only time they stepped on our half of the field with the ball in their hands, and it was on their defense, on that one play. The entire second half, they didn't cross the 50 because our defense stepped. Whatever mid-game adjustments we made, our defense stepped up. Thank you, Venables. We ran the ball. So we lose that game 21-14. That one I would love to have back because that would have I, – I still think Stoops solidified himself with the one national championship and being in all the other positions he was in 
in later national championships. But I think as a football world, that would have that would have made him even higher on the list with with two national championships. To your point about momentum, and and how that propels you, it's got to help at the margin make us a better team down the stretch. And I'm not saying you can put on paper that we definitely win a na- another national title and it's going to be in 2008 or whatever, but it all in all has to help the situation, most likely helps the situation. Changes the makeup and, of And we were so close identity. and so many yeah. times after that. We lost back to back. You, you are looking at yeah. some, yeah, I mean, you're looking at some real opportunity for an even greater Bob Stoops era. Dynastic for sure. type of Yeah, I can't look at the USC game stuff. and say I want to I mean, obviously, I'd rather be a different outcome, but that was such a blowout that it's it's they easier to, it's they easier cheated. to say that the they knew our place. the closer loss was the easier one to change. And you were there and all that. Yep. No, that's a great great selection. Back, I uh, forgot about your, your question earlier on the stadium stuff, the Cotton Bowl. Uh huh. Yeah, tell Connor, us about that. Connor with a shot at me earlier about he doesn't understand OU fans that don't religiously go to that game every year because help him understand that because that's his that's his favorite thing. And to me, I, I think the atmosphere is fun every couple of years, but it's such a slog to get to that stadium, to get out of that stadium, to deal with the idiot Texas fans. But you don't want to move to Jerry World. Though, I right? do not want to move it because Jerry World is a sterile, horrible environment for football. Um, I, I think that stadium sucks. I don't care what the amenities are. It's, it's good for concerts, not good for football games. But so it you, would improve all of those criticisms you have it about would, but it wouldn't have Fair the Park. romanticism of the fairgrounds of you know everything that goes along with that the the pageantry you know, the storied history laughing at big techs you know all that kind of stuff wouldn't be the same Fair. Um, i enjoy the game for the most part but it's not something i'm willing to partake year in year out just because it's so draining logistical challenge and um Is it i've started taking you... the dart in Mm-hmm. And that that makes it better, but uh, what side is our end zone on, directionally? Well, it's an east-west stadium, east-west so we're on stadium. the east. It's so, it's more of a southeast, but yeah. Okay, so the 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 side, the non-press box side. Yeah. If you try to go to that side of the of the fair after the game, it will literally take you forty-five minutes to walk two hundred feet. It it's unsafe. It's very it's unsafe. Very unsafe. It, you can't get food, beverage, restroom, anything on that side. And you're not someone who like is safety first worried about right. It's just safety, but you recognize it makes me so angry. Even if we're just coming off a beat down, I don't I don't like and which I don't, I don't go out that side anymore. Um, even if my tickets are on that side, I make it a point to go out the other side just because it's they've gotten to the point where I don't know what the numbers are, but you've got 100,000 people in the stadium. 50-50 OU Texas. Um, but they're letting another hundred to 200,000 people into the fair just because it's their state fair. But it makes all the, all the randoms make it unlivable for me. Well, to that point, I don't know why OU and Texas have this contract with the state fair of Texas or with the city of Dallas or whatever it is. The state fair of Texas goes on for a full month. It's a four week event. I don't know. And, and I bet the OU and Texas, flow of, of fans, even fans that go to the fair that don't go to the game, which you, I guess they'd be excluded in this. Which I don't like those people. So, I don't either. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. Yes. Why would you put yourself through that? But 
I don't know why you can't figure out a way to write it in the contract that you say from whenever the ferry gates open to 8 3, 3 p.m. Yep. 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. You have to have a ticket to get in the have gate. have to have a ticket to get in the gate. Yep. That would make it exponentially more fun for everyone involved, honestly. Yep. As, a, as a patron, yeah. the lines... There's no waits for your your games. Everyone's there for the same cause. It, it would, would take be care incredible. of the safety issue in a big, big way. In a big way. And they still make money. It's not like yeah. Um, one other. I would be more likely to spend more yeah, money. I was gonna say in the fairgrounds because I would able I'd be able to go up and do stuff. And access stuff. Agreed. Or, you know, use use the the food, the beverage. <laughs> I mean, I'm I don't know that I'd ride a bunch of rides or anything, but I may go on the Ferris wheel if I could actually get on it. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, and it's better for kids. I mean, like we're. we're I remember, you know, Steve was, when Steve's kids started going when they were younger, like they, they want to, OU wins, you get to go to the fair after. Yeah. Well, if you get to go to the fair after, I don't want to be fighting, you know, 60 people to go on that Ferris wheel or to get a corn dog or something else. So, I mean, we've kind of resorted recently to going, getting there early via the dart and doing stuff before the game and then going in to, to avoid that aftermath if, if OU wins type of thing. So. So do you think um, an element in your uh, lack of, of enthusiasm for that venue and that game relates to the fact that it's such a, an emotional drain and so difficult? And you know it does not matter what the records are or how quality the teams are. You've seen OU in particular go into that game so many times the better team and come out with a loss. Does that weigh on you to be less enthusiastic for it? Sometimes because I hate losing, and and hate losing to them. But I've actually only been to one OU loss at that stadium, the 2005 season. Going into it, I knew we were going to lose. We had that was the Bomar season. They Vince had Vince Young. Young. He's tearing everybody up. Um, so we went in there as a big underdog, and we got smacked like 45 to 12 or something, something bad. So I knew going into that game, that one had free tickets to was a big factor of going to that game but that's my only cotton bowl loss was that game so i don't have like super bad memories of of going to games and leaving and having texas fans talk trash to me or any of that mm -hmm. it's just the slog of the it's it's the crowd it's just too many people so looking forward what is your biggest concern for ou now or concerns uh, obviously, the the level of competition in the SEC is a concern. I'm still concerned with coaching. I don't know. Obviously, if you listen to this podcast, I'm not a big Levy fan. I don't I don't know that he's the guy because I'm not sure the offenses he came from before he was actually running. Um, I think Heupel was running the offense when he was at UCF. Um, I think Kiffin was running the offense at Ole Miss. Even if he's calling some plays, I think I think Kiffin has a big influence on which plays are getting called under different situations. And I think coming to work for Brent and having the entire offense at his fingertips, he wasn't ready situationally for sure because we've proven over and over last season that we should have been trying to run clock out as opposed to snap the ball 25 seconds left. And that's something you can learn from in an offseason, but that's something – when you take a position like offensive coordinator at OU, you're you're one of the three figures at the university between head coach, OC, and DC. To get to that level at this 
at this proud and tradition of a school, you should already be ready before you get here. This isn't a stepping stone job. I mean, it might be the head coach, obviously, but it, it's not an offensive coordinator stepping stone job for sure. Yeah. So he should have been more ready when he got here. He should have learned from his mistakes throughout the season, which I don't feel like he did. Um, we did look better in the bowl game. I got to give him – he did a, a better job. Of course, we were playing behind for a lot of that, but he did a better job in his offensive coordinator duties, I feel like, in the bowl game. But I'm he's a concern for me. Brent, I don't he, – he could be the guy. I'm not – I don't completely – I don't doubt everything about him. Some of the coach speak – I don't know. It's, it's different than Bob. I think – I like Bob's coach speak better than Brent's coach speak. I don't know why. I don't know if it's a it's more it's a faith based thing for Brent, and it's always like he's always talking about, you know, we're not trying to make football players, we're trying to create grown men with good morals and all this other stuff, which is fine. But I'm concerned about football, and I want you to be concerned about football and not just graduating classes and and these men becoming, you know, whatever. I want you to worry about football, and that should be the first focus. So. I don't love the Brent Venables coach speak aspect of his personality. Do you think, now Bob Stoops is probably a top 10 coach speak guy, right? So it, you're holding him up to one of the best and, and maybe a, a top five in the, in, the, in the Bob Stoops era. Um, not many can compete with how well he just does in, in that regard. Yeah. Do you think Brent Venables is above or below average in coach speak? And in, may, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and, and also, is that good enough? Is he top 25%? Uh, I don't know what he needs to be to be good. I, I, think, I think Brent is honest about his coach speak. I think Bob, if you got him in person and were like friends with Bob, he would talk completely different than what he portrayed to the press. And actually have met people that are, have been friends with Bob and say when you get him away from football, he's, he's more outgoing, more fun. And we've seen that since. You know, he's tending bar at his friend's deal. He's, he's doing the tequila thing. You know, I've been around him when he smoked cigars at Louie's, and, and he's a more personal person than he is in front of a microphone doing Tuesday press conferences. But I think Brent is who he is all the time. I don't think he knows how to let loose and have fun as a, like, as a civilian. And that's just my, that's my view of him. I think he literally is who he is all the time, no matter what. Hmm. And that's that's not the vibe of, of people that I yeah. would hang out with and and want to hear tell me his opinion on the things that aren't football related. I think I think I think it's so difficult though because they they were in such different circumstances. Bob came here and was very successful very quickly, and with no pressure, with very little pressure up front, and had a lot to lean on after his second year as head coach and doesn't have to use it. What is Venables going to preach up outside of character and, and trying to make men better men and stuff like that? There's, there's not a lot that he inherited that he can just sit on and say, you know, this is, this is a great spot that we're in and, and experience that very quick success that Bob had. Like, I think Venables has to make a lot of a lot of something out of very very little that he gained. And I'm not saying I agree with Lucas. I think when I think like Venables, I probably put him into the realm of like a like an Alex Grinch type of coach speak, 
like very I think he's very tactical I think he wants to I think he floods his audience with words to you know maybe come off and give an impression of we're doing a lot more here than just football Bob won Bob won quick Bob won big in big games and after that you don't have to say a lot like your, yeah, but your track as a defense coordinator at Clemson, they won a lot, and Brent is still the same. Yeah. I mean, Bob came in and went 7-5 and five his first season, and Brent, if we win that game, <laughs> is 7-6. and six. So trajectory-wise, him and Bob pretty much had the same season year one. But I, I don't know how to describe it. It's just personality-wise, it's too much. I think me. you have to be different nowadays, if though. Just and his, you can tell Brent his demeanor is too much – of that way. Brent Venables came from the Dabo Sweeney church of football, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine what Dabo's coaching meetings look like, like where you're probably reading a chapter of the Bible every week. But how many years did Brent spend here before, before he got his Dabo influence that he was still like he, he's more like you're talking about. That is now. who he is. He yeah. has more Dabo influence yeah. than he did, but he really hasn't changed that much since he was here from 99 till what 10 mm-hmm. whenever we'll and it is it fair to say it's that you're translate. not negative per se on the character building right. that leaning on 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 religion to a degree and morality very strongly but you want it to be led as football first yeah i'm just saying i prefer i and lincoln lincoln was the kind of coach that it felt like he was way guarded the the hidden practices and all that crap was super annoying to me the whole time he was here. He he had his own kind of coach speak that came off as a cockiness, yeah. which felt like was fine except for the fact that he didn't focus anything on defense, and that was annoying. But he wasn't as much as Brent is right. in his – it's just it's, – I can't really describe it. I don't know. I get it. So those are those would be my main concerns. The SEC, obviously, what Connor talked about in the last pod, that's going to be a – Huge jump week to week, um, and then not being 100% sold on the coaching staff bothers me a little bit. So I have one more question, but before that, any other questions that you guys would like to ask Lucas? What's your What is your favorite home game you've been to? My favorite home game? Um, I mean, the jump around game was incredible. I really liked the Missouri game. When Chase Daniel came to town, he was talking all kinds of smack. Game day was here. They set up over by Heisman Park. Before it was Heisman Park, I think, wasn't it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I went down there for the game day atmosphere, um, and it was just Missouri's number one or two or whatever they were coming in, and we put them in their place. Was that 07? Um, when we rematched it, we rematched it in the Big 12 title. And it was then, 08, wasn't it? Was it 08? 08, yeah, it 08? when we rematched in the title, yeah. I think it was 08. I can't believe it was. So, so good. we put them in their place. So which, we hosted game day twice in 08. Which I love. I like I like when some teams talk and smack yeah, when we put, put them in their place. Because, place. I mean, we were we are the Big 12. And that's one thing going forward. It's going to be a huge vacuum for the Big 12 to figure out. Because, yeah, Baylor's been pretty good. K-State's up and coming. But losing the Bell Cows, and Texas is terrible. At Bell Cow, yeah. Yeah, Bell Cow. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens because it's like in Entourage when he says, I am Queens Boulevard. Well, we are the Big 12. Yeah. Very point. true. Good point. 
I'm going to allow you to defend your position here because you catch a lot of flack for this. Not from me, per se. <laughs> Explain to the listeners and defend your end zone, end zone seating. seating. I knew that was coming. Again, I've sat everywhere in that stadium outside of the east side upper deck, newer. Have you sat in section 107? Uh, yes. Have you sat, sat in suite? Have you sat in 107 between rows 1 and 10? <laughs> no. no. No, I heard there's this one guy who gets drunk up there and causes all kinds of crap. <laughs> I heard about that too. <laughs> I'm not going to stay away from that section. Um, I honestly think it's from my many years of playing Madden and NCAA college football. Is when you play That's those a good games. Point. That is the vantage point. You're behind the quarterback, yeah. And you're obviously you're watching the routes go in motion and and seeing who to throw to, and you're seeing the the development of the line blocking and the holes for the running backs. And that's all I can. I mean, honestly, is that why you bring a controller to the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah because that, that view in Madden's also from like a sky cam. Mind <laughs> you, Lucas is seventy plus rows up. No, you can change the, the different. You can change the settings on Madden. <laughs> you're not telling me you change it to be that far well, up on the NCAA. Oh yeah, because you want to see the whole field. <laughs> but I mean, he wants as, a, as a youngster playing Tecmo Bowl. It's side to side, and I'm like, man, this. I like the game because it's the only thing we really have. But then when Madden comes out and you're behind the offense, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, I'll have to check out the telescope mode on that game. So that's a very interesting I, that's, justification. I honestly think that's what just so many years of playing video games from that angle. And like I said, I've tried to sit. The COVID year, I ended up in the southeast corner pretty low and hated every second of it. It was awful. It sounds miserable. It was I mean, I'll defend. They should have given my tickets free that season because it was so bad. I'll defend you all the way up until the south thirty-yard line, and then <laughs> after that, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I do, I do know what you're saying. You can see stuff develop. You do see people come open. You do see the blocking way better. Um, but in terms of like, did he get enough yardage? It's really exactly. hard to tell. Did he get? Um, yeah. I mean, I got get pretty the good end vision. Zone? Really hard to tell. I mean, it's just you've it's got just, better field goal. It's math and you've science. got better field goal stuff. That's yeah. When, that. when some of you idiots are over there celebrating in the upper deck, <laughs> thinking the field goal went through, I, I'm oh, like, I always watch the screen. I'm I shaking am my 100% head. on You're my field screen? goal predictions. Ugh. I can watch it from the the minute the ball's kicked. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Trust so, me. So that's I think that's what it is. That's I just, very but interesting. But com- coming at you like coming north, um, in the red zone, that that's pretty sweet. That is pretty sweet. You can see a lot that's happening right there. Well, it's a, it is a very different perspective because as we set from the television angle, which it's weird TV does it that way. Yeah, I, guess I actually may, think may the something. TV camera is like it's right in front of us. Right yeah, in front of, right in front of us. So that's it's funny you can't see there. the depth or the space between the the linemen, and so you do get a little bit of a, a jumble there. Um, they're yeah, running I lanes. See value. Also, when they're, when they're running, running north and south, when they're running north and south, you can't see their numbers. So when a receiver takes off, you're like, "Who is that? Is that 80 or is I that 81?" I know who's 81? in the game yeah. the second they break a huddle or break through the sidelines. And also, I'm sitting in row 72 of section 16. Come by and say hi if you want. Um, oh, you can't because there's not a little walkway, so you'd actually have to walk all the way up those stairs. Yeah, it's awesome. So I to give me exercise six days a year, <laughs> but I'm along the brick wall at the top of the north end zone. You are very noticeable. So I can stand up whenever I want to, and I have nobody complaining behind me, which y'all do sometimes. Yeah. So we don't stand up because we, we have, have good, real good class. seats. I stand probably yeah. My seats 80% of the game, and I lean against the brick wall. 
which actually and helped you in the weather situation as well, I believe. Yep. Well, before when the south end zone was open, you got a great breeze coming from the south in the early games when it's hot. And then in the later games when it's cold coming from the north, I've got a wind block. Now it's not as good in the heat games because the new south end zone being filled in takes away from a lot of that. It's the heat bowl. Well, one last question. How optimistic are you for OU's future? Connor used a scale out of 10, and he was a 7.5. If we're talking about for the rest of my lifetime, where I see OU as a program, I don't see any reason we shouldn't stay as a top 25 program from here until the end of time. Um, Which, depending on what happens in Russia, you never know. Um, (laughs) But I don't – that. I'm surprised Connor went so low. I honestly figured he would be more of a nine guy. You've, uh, you're teaching me at a hedge. But, I, I mean, we should be a perennially top ten team, you know, five out of ten years for the next four decades. So that should be. That's your. But so is that also your I'm expectation? I'm And you expect we're going to be there. You expect we're going to meet expectations. So you're fairly optimistic. I think, we'll, I think after what happened last season, obviously – College football is at a place now where if you have two or three bad seasons, they'll dump you and bring somebody else in. And the way the players can jump in the transfer portal, depending on how that changes over time, you can you can do like TCU did. and You can go from being an, an average team to going to a national championship game in one season by bringing in five or six guys. Um, so maybe, maybe I'll add on a, a little bit of a layer to this question. How optimistic are you – of a national championship within the next decade? Uh, I don't think we'll win a national championship in the next decade. Um, I think... It's mm. a long gap. The, tra- the transition to the SEC will probably take four years at best to get back up to where we're a top three team in that conference. And the landscape of college football I mean, right may, now as well. You may have magic... You know, you may have lightning strike and you get another Baker Mayfield or an Adrian Peterson type player, but he's on campus right now. It takes so many <laughs> of those players on a team to compete. It's not like basketball where you get two guys in, you can win a national championship. I mean, you need 12 to 15 really, really good players to win a national championship. So you're saying won't win one. Do you think we will compete for one? Yeah, I, th- I think we'll probably, with a 12 team playoff, if we're not in at least three or four playoffs in the next decade then we've horribly underperformed playoffs are like like top four like like semifinals semifinal games we we better be in at least two in the next decade okay so but competing I, but you don't expect yeah. to win i i don't think the resources at oklahoma are top 10 in the nation in what the nil game is going to be i just don't think the people here will spend that kind of money that some of the bigger, you know, the Bamas and the Oregons and the USC type places will spend. I just, I don't think we'll ever get to that level of spending. So it's going to, it's going to have to come from a roots down building a program scheme as opposed to like what A&M's tried to do. If they had any coaching whatsoever, A&M should be a top five team every year, but, but they don't, their coaching is, is bad. So maybe a junior, senior heavy team. Yeah. Redshirt junior heavy team. Yep. All right. Well, those are good answers. Now the audience knows Lucas. Thanks a lot, Lucas. Yep. Boomer. Sooner. Sooner.